February 27, 2023. This is Rook. Well, hi there. Welcome to episode 242 of Rook. The Iranian foreign minister is a buffoon. I'm Gian Gomeshi. Hello to you from Toronto. Salam, Dostan Aziz. Durud Bashama. The Iranian foreign minister is a buffoon. With apologies to buffoons. What else to conclude on this maddening day when the foreign minister of Iran, Hossein Amir Abdullahian, was allowed a platform at the United Nations Human Rights Council for a bellicose bizarre bragging bromide of bullshit? Is the word buffoon the correct choice? Clown? Jester? Fraud? Con man? Joke? Embarrassment? Who knows? What we do know is that the Islamic Republic is broken. Bring on the end, please. And the end of this parade of regime stooges the West likes to appease. To recap, in front of a number of diplomats and delegations from around the world who did not heed the suggestion to walk out when the Iranian rep was to speak, the foreign minister gave a short speech in broken English that was, well, unrelated to reality. Respecting human rights and dignity is a core value for the Islamic Republic, he said, with a straight face. No hint of satire or comedic try. This guy shamelessly committed himself to this epic lie. The Iranian foreign minister is a buffoon. Sorry, is this the same Iran that has been in the middle of a humanitarian crisis for months? The same Iran that has seen kids shot, women tortured, innocent souls detained, and protesters executed? Human rights a core value? What? But it gets better. Caught by a reporter in the hallways who asked his response to all those who've lost their lives in Iran in recent months, the foreign minister duly responded, No one has been killed. Wait, what? The most conservative reports out of Iran say 600 have been found dead since the beginning of the uprising. What kind of sick dude do you have to be to say, no one has been killed? But maybe the worst part of the buffoonery is the Western diplomats who stayed in the room during the speech and applauded at the end. Or that Belgian foreign minister meeting with her murderous Iranian counterpart. Or the foreign minister from Scandinavia telling him, nice to see you again. Let's repeat this once more to the West. We don't need you to save the Iranian people. We just need you to stop saving this regime. And to Mr. Amir Abdullahian, congrats on making captain of the buffoonery team. The Islamic Republic is broken economically and environmentally and politically and culturally and morally. Bring on the end, please. And the end to this parade of regime stooges the West likes to appease. Coming up on this new edition of Rook, athlete and popular blogger Picasso Moin joins us from Istanbul, and Alangu founder Golshid Mola in LA, plus the Rook Roundtable. This is Rook, episode 242. The IRI foreign minister is a buffoon. Here we go. Another edition of Rook. I'm here in the studio in Toronto and we have quorum. We have everybody here. (laughs) We have, or at least everybody, meaning the four of you, uh, three of us, or part of three of you, the four of us collectively. (laughs) Hello, Pega. Hello. Hello, Shia. And hello, KNZ. Hello. Our new uh, superstar. I'm going to do a proper introduction to you in a moment, but um, let me mention that Golshid Mullah. Am I saying her last name the right? Right? It's Mola. Uh, Mola. Mola. Yeah. 
I don't want to because I think I screwed this up last time. Golshid <laughs> Mullah. It doesn't. Uh, she, I, I don't think that's her name or what she would want it to be. Golshid Mola. Yes, exactly. M O W. Imagine M O W L A. Mola. Mo Mola. But do you say it? Say it. Say it. Say it. Golshid Mola. That's what I said, kind of. No, you said Mullah. Golshid Akhun. Golshid Mola. Mola, yeah. Uh, so people who listen to our program will perhaps remember Golshid was on the show a year or so ago. She created this um, very popular online marketplace called Alangu, mm-hmm. which is. Uh, it's kind of a marketplace for Iranian and Middle Eastern designers and artists. It's a very cool tool, really, to um, find unique pieces, mm-hmm. un- unique ideas. Uh, and Alangu, a lot of people will know about it, has been popular for some time. Gurshid is the founder of it and, and runs Alangu and, and has pretty much given the platform over in the last six months to the uprising. Uh, and I think almost suspended a bunch of the activity wow. and and you know if you just go on the Alangu site and go on Alangu uh, Insta for example it's it's all mm-hmm. uprising related and mm-hmm. so she's joining us from the west coast uh, uh, of the United States coming up and uh, our friend Picasso Moin Picasso who of course has been on the show two or three times he is in Istanbul and he just attended. Um, a major protest in Istanbul, which, mm-hmm. as we've learned, is a big deal because yeah. not a lot yeah. of protests are are allowed to happen mm-hmm. in Istanbul. Uh, mm-hmm. And Picasso, as ever, has been very active. One of the things he is arguing lately, I don't know if you've heard this theory, but, is that Iran is intentionally devaluing its currency. Have oh, you heard wow. this? No. Yeah, because I guess the argument, I mean, I have to ask him about it, but his argument is that it is that facilitates people going to exchange places to try and get um, exchange for the dollar, et cetera, and that is that benefits the regime because they run all the exchange places, something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe I. Uh, nobody's heard this. No, I haven't oh. heard it, and I'd have to really think about that because I may be making this up. <laughs> uh, let's see what Picasso says. Okay. But I think that's what. Uh, that's what what I understood from one of the things he's he's arguing, um, and he's he's as ever he's got such tremendous experience in terms of his own um, issues with this regime, and and he's kind of a controversial figure in some ways. Some people love him, some people don't. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to him, uh, and always insightful in many ways. So Picasso coming up from Istanbul actually first in just a few moments, but before we get to that. Uh, first of all, let me do a proper introduction to KNZ, Khanumanegin, <laughs> KNZ uh, being the last name. Um, welcome. Thank you. KNZ. I think KNZ is eventually going to become Kenzie. Kenzie, that sounds <laughs> good. Kenzie. Yeah, Kenzie, kind of. But it, <laughs> it reminds us. We had a, when we started, we, yeah. I mean, I don't know if we need to tell that on the air, but when we started the show, mm-hmm. in the very, very beginning of Rook Media, one of the people who helped us build the studio was a guy named Kenzie. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we've already had a Kenzie associated with Rook, but this is a brand new Kenzie uh, 2.0. Yeah. Now, now I'll Kenzie. Take Kenzie. I'll take Kenzie. Kenzie, yeah. yeah. yeah Kenzie. <laughs> Sounds very official. So you are Iranian-Canadian. Yes. First of all, we love having you on the team. It's Thank only been you. a couple of weeks, but everybody's excited to have you here. You, you 
grew up in Tehran mm-hmm. and you moved here to Canada when you were 17, right? Yes, that's Which right. was... Which was eight years, eight seven, years eight years ago, yeah. Uh, and and you moved here because you wanted to pursue music? Is that what... Yeah, well, I had plans to move, but I did want to pursue music professionally. And obviously, we all know that there's really no future for female artists in Iran. So that was a big personal goal of mine to come here and be able to do that here. And your family was supportive. Yeah, yeah. I think I amazing. I proved to them that this is really what, what I want to do. So they were okay with it by the end. So you, So people who know music and music schools in North America or really around the world will know Berkeley, mm-hmm. um, not Berkeley in California, but Berkeley, B-E-R-K-L-E-E. Berkeley is one of the top music school destinations anywhere in the world mm-hmm. right Chaya yes yes, yes. and uh, and you and you ended up going to Berkeley right yes, which did. is amazing until they kicked you out because you're Iranian basically yeah, exactly I was there on a student visa and um, it was during the travel ban situation that was going on and yeah I went to reapply for my student visa and I got rejected and I had to move back to Toronto but it's amazing that you got into that school it's a testament to how talented you clearly are it was it was actually the only music school i applied to i was like i either get into this and i go or i just don't do it and what's the biggest takeaway from your what what did you most learn from your days in berkeley i think i just learned how talented everyone is and to just like understand and appreciate everyone's talent and try to find ways to collaborate with them to learn more yourself and grow yourself as an artist mm-hmm. i think that was the biggest a terrible takeaway. answer okay <laughs> <laughs> i learned how talented everybody is. okay could have gone to york i was not expecting that at all <laughs> I, was gonna, I, I thought you were gonna say something like oh, oh wow it's wonderful so no, i know i know artists. i know it's a great answer way to go no i mean come on yeah. i realized every of course everybody's talented yes. you're at berkeley you're being diplomatic and nice <laughs> i was looking for more something juicier uh, <laughs> oh, wow i learned that americans are dog eat dog in the music business or i don't know, I don't know <laughs> Um, well, it's nice to have you here. You're a musician, you're a studio engineer, um, and you know you you're somebody who has an important perspective, um, both as a as a woman and as a um, are you what are you now Gen Z? Yes, I'm Gen. Wow. What? I don't even but know what I am. You're, you're Gen. Of it. I think you're Gen Y. Why is that? Well, okay. you're a millennial, right? I don't. I honestly, you, I don't get these categories. Millennial. I think you're a millennial. Yeah, you are. I was born in '88. It sounds what, like you don't want to be. You don't want to be a millennial. <laughs> I think we're we're completing the alphabet. If I'm Gen X and you're Y, and, there we go. And K- KNZ is uh, Z. Uh, KNZ, yeah. Gen KNZ, Z. Yeah, there, there you go. go. <laughs> uh, uh, um, so you have a you you have a, an important perspective to bring along with uh, Super P, for example, on our team from from the from the Gen Z side, but also because you've been in Iran. I mean, you didn't just move here eight years ago. You've been back and forth a little bit. Yes. And you were in Iran when the uprising began, right? Yeah. Pretty much. I was there in September until the end of October last year. So mm-hmm. I was there exactly from when it started and was there for about a month and a half into the whole protests. And how, what was it? What was that experience like for you? Did you go out on the protests? Because I know you're... I didn't. I'm not... I. I'm not as brave as everyone else that's fighting there on the streets, but um, it was 
it was an interesting experience obviously everyone is mourning and everyone was extremely sad just the vibe of the whole city was completely different from the other times that I'd been there um but I do I was glad that I was there because I think I got to see what was actually happening and I think I would have been more nervous and stressed out and just like being here and watching it from outside because you never know what the truth is until you're actually there and you're of course, it's not You're over. Talking to We're talking about it like there. it's the past, but <laughs> yeah. it's still exactly. happening. But exactly. but do, but uh, now I, from what I know of you, I mean, I know you that 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 you're fervently opposed to this regime. So, did you feel guilty that you weren't going out on the streets? Oh yeah, you for did. Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah, I felt very guilty, but you know the circumstances. I was personally scared, and um, but I have friends of mine that were brave enough to go and. Um, be on the street with the people but I would say that when I was coming back here the only thing that was sort of keeping me hopeful was that I was going to come here and sort of be the voice here because mm. I could go mm-hmm. and protest safely here on the streets with with ir- the uh-huh. Iranian community so coming to Canada was almost like a, a liberation and that you could actually speak your mind uh, yes. in a way that you were a little scared to do do so in Iran. Yeah. Do you, when you're on a demonstration, you've been to a number of them here in yeah. Toronto, right? When you go to these demonstrations, do you feel like those of us who are here demonstrating somehow don't understand exactly what's happening in Iran? Or does, does it feel very much in sync with those that, your friends who were protesting in Iran? I think... I think people understand what's going on and I think that's why we see so many people showing up every time is because personally being in Iran at the beginning I couldn't go to the bigger protests because I was there I wasn't in Toronto and when we would see the amount the bigger of protests people, here yeah the, the bigger yeah, protests yeah. here in Richmond Hill um, when we would see people um, on the news of like international um, Iranians going out and doing this it was it kind of made us feel very hopeful mm. um, so I do think that people know exactly what the situation is and I appreciate them taking advantage of their freedom and um, going out and being the voice of people that are right. back home by the way, you're, uh, this is sort of a tedious thing to say, but your English is really great. Thank you. Was it good before you came to Canada, or is that just in the last few years? Like you're sitting next to Shia, and it's like a, I mean, the difference between the way you speak is notable, and you know. Yeah, I actually, like I've learned, I don't even know how I learned English. It's just like through movies and music. I obviously had to like correct my grammar a little here and there, but... Yeah, I knew it before I came. I didn't really have a problem with the language when I moved. Pretty cool, huh? Very cool. Actually, <laughs> comes, goes to Berkeley, speaks yeah, I mean, amazingly. You know. The experiences that Negan's had, I mean, they're incredible. Making us all look bad. I know. Basically. Yeah. But um, I will say, fun fact. Although, don't ask her what the big takeaway was from Berkeley. <laughs> she was just saying, everybody was talented. And, uh, well, I mean, it's true. She wasn't time. lying, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, I've gotten to know Negin a little bit over the last little while that uh-huh. she's been here, and Negin and I actually our birthdays are one day apart, with yeah. the difference wow. of many years. But um, <laughs> aren't you Gen Y? <laughs> yes, yeah, many yeah. many years apart. <laughs> Not but. many many years, <laughs> I mean. but a few years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so I found that out. Wow. What yeah. what what month is that? December 13th and then 14th is night. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Sagittarius. All That's right. right. All right. And so what are the implications of Sagitt- being Sagittarius? I don't know. The best. The, the best. absolute best. Right. Most adventurous. Right. Yeah. And they oh. get they, they get along really well with Geminis. Oh. So there you go. All right. Yeah. All right. Exactly. And what are you, Shia? What's your <laughs> sign? I'm sorry, Cancer. Oh. <laughs> Don't be sorry. I mean, uh Okay. I, I don't know. I don't the know only either. reason I know Sagittarius <laughs> isn't Gemini's is because I'm a Sagittarius and my sister is a Gemini. And you guys get along very Nagin's well. And Nagin's sister is also a Gemini. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Mm. Very similar. I mean, we've lost all of our listeners at yeah, this point, but <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, for the sake of the four of us, that was an it's, interesting it was conversation. Very good. <laughs> I, I should also say, in terms of la- last names and, and saying, you know, uh, K and Z, so. Um, Man, I don't know what it is. We had this event in Toronto, uh, downtown Toronto on the weekend. It was a Rook Media event. Uh, it was, uh, and it turned out really, really nice. Yeah. It was, a, it was a gathering of solidarity and art and performance, and and we had some really um, lovely folks come and and donate their time to to perform. We had Kurosh Babai, who was this incredible Kabanchia player. We had our friends Dang Show, Shaya and Taha were there, Banafsha Tahrian, Soli, the legend, mm-hmm. uh, our own Anahita and Anu Head did some dancing. And we had the art of Nagmed Josh. She's done the art of the the uprising. She's been on the show. Um, but one of the highlights of course was Sabah, yes. who for some reason I'm a fan. She's been on the show twice. Mm-hmm. I can't get her last name right. <laughs> so I introduced her and I, I was like, <laughs> I give this big introduction how amazing she is and this is, you know, we're so honored. And this is Sawa. And and I remember there's an E that I'm supposed to say the E like so I, I go, This is Sawa uh zamoni no i said um uh, namozi yeah. what did you i say started from nezami <laughs> nezami <Yeah. laughs> nezami and, and then, then nozemi and, then, and they're like, like i said samon nezami and then everybody's like oh, no no that's not the way and so i thought oh i put the the vowel you know so then i was like uh namozi you know a couple of tries there yeah it took yeah and then Zamo, Zameni, Zameni, Zameni. 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 See, I can't still. And I'm such a fan of hers. And yeah. she was amazing at our yeah, was. at our event. But um, so sorry. My apologies to Sabah Zameni. Yes. Correct. I don't even know where I got. Namozi. Nezami. Nezami is a, he's a, he's a famous poet. <laughs> I really did say, I said four different names. Yeah. I got completely different names. Yeah. Before I got to, and then, People were kindly saying, "Just you, maybe you should just use first names." Like <laughs> I'm an idiot, you know. Like I've been freaking broadcasting for years. Oh I, I think it's better that you just use first names. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, but it was a lovely event, and uh, yeah, K and Z was there. I asked her, "What did she think? What was the big takeaway?" She said, "There was a lot of talented people." <laughs> <laughs> and she learned I'm that there's lying. talented people. <laughs> yeah. Um, Let's get to, uh, before we get to Picasso and Golshid Mola, let's get to um, some of uh, what's happening. So obviously I did this uh, opening essay about our, uh, our, not our, the um, foreign minister of uh, Iran and um, some of his ridiculousness. But the, I guess the big news of the day is this, for, for those of us in the Iranian community around the world, is this UNHRC meeting, mm-hmm. the Human Rights Commission? Council. Com- Council. Um, 
This had been circled on the calendar for a while Mm -hmm. because there had been a campaign for people, uh, I mean, to say, do not give this guy any oxygen, this Iranian foreign minister, because he was scheduled to speak and it was sort of, how is it possible that you're uh, giving a platform to um, this person for the the United Nations Human Rights uh, uh, Council? So the campaign was, please walk out. Um, How effective was it? Do we know? Um, I don't think we have any specific numbers just yet because, I mean, this just happened hours, I mean, I don't know how many hours exactly, but hours ago. Um, So we don't have exact numbers, but there was a significant amount of individuals who actually walked out. Um, I know that there were, sorry, I know there were 47 member states who were actually present along with, um, you know, their delegations, individuals from NGOs, um, all sorts of representatives. So we don't know exactly who it was that walked out or from what countries, but we saw a large number of people um, leave the the conference when when he started talking um a couple of familiar faces so we saw um ali Ahundi mm-hmm. leave um a couple of um reporters and such ha- that have been circulating in the last five six months um but yeah names are to be released and countries are to be released as well um but i think what was also interesting since then is hearing um the reporters speak to hussein amir abdullahian and ask him questions following his speech and asking him about the recent killings of protesters and massa i mean need to be to be specific and his response was just his response is it, uh, everything curious. he said was yeah, m- madness I mean, yeah I listened to his speech, first of all, um, and he spoke in English, which mm. was surprising. What do you think that was about? I, I thought it was curious that he spoke in English because he would clearly, I'm guessing, be more commanding and confident in Absolutely. Persian. So it was obviously a tactical decision, but his English is not. No, I mean, it's, I had, not, it's no I had KNZ so much, English, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, I had yeah. so much trouble understanding him. Um, mm. He butchered so many of the words. Um, he lost his place a couple of times, actually, which we've seen happen many times to um, representatives of the Islamic Republic when they're speaking at, <laughs> at the UN. Um, but I mean, everything that he said was ridiculous. He, he took it as an opportunity to um, call out the UN and basically say that, you know, no country is perfect when it comes at, comes to human rights and that the UN is acting as, as um, a place for individuals to, or not individuals, but countries, I guess, mm-hmm. to villainize the Islamic Republic mm-hmm. almost. And was, I mean, Nothing that he said makes made any sense. Well, it's it's not it's not wrong that uh, there's hypocrisy with the UN. Yeah, but that, but, but, but for the but Islamic for him, Republic yeah, 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 to be course, coming and course, say that, yeah. I mean, I think that's just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then just going back to you know when reporters asked him about Mass Amini, he said he said that respecting human rights and dignity is a core value of the Islamic Republic. Yes, yes, I, I, have, mean, I, I have the quote. Yeah, yeah, and that human rights bodies, including UNHRC, have turned into an instrument of foreign policy and that no country can claim its human rights record is perfect. Yeah, what did you make of him speaking in uh, English? Um, I think, yeah, that... um you know all the uh, all the govern governors in Iran they don't understand that if he speaks English they don't understand but um, I think he he does it for Iranian govern governors actually to like show them that I I can speak English uh-huh. so let me play more in the I see. Yeah, Yeah. I'm a I'm a strong ambassador for the country because I can speak English. 
Yeah, I bought it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and the, so this was happening uh, at the same time. It's pretty. It's pretty garish. This, mm-hmm. this guy is speaking and and um, the whole spectacle of it. It's not even the United Nations. You remember, like Ahmadinejad speaking at the United Nations yeah. and all that. It's the United Nations Human Rights, Human Rights Council. Council. Yeah. A core value of the Islam. <laughs> I mean, it's actually laughable. It is. Right? It's, it's actually yeah. truly laughable. Absolutely um, ridiculous more laughable actually to add to all this is that he's also supposed to speak at another conference this coming tuesday and get ready for this that's the un conference on disarmament mm. so that's the next conference that he's speaking yeah. at. i mean just one after the other yeah he's on tour yeah yeah, yeah. and the same <laughs> campaign is running for that as well by the way they're asking individuals to walk out when he begins speaking so the so this happened um, in terms of just what's lighting up the the person's social media, this I would say this is the number one thing, you know. Uh, but it it happens also at the same time, you know. There's this campaign: walk out, don't give this guy time, don't give him the respect of sitting in the room while he's speaking. At the same time, we're seeing these images of the Belgian foreign minister, mm-hmm. who is a woman who. Um, from what I understand, uh, well, from what we remember, early in the uprising, so like in October, in October or something, yeah. uh, actually cut her hair, right. demonstrating her solidarity with Iranian women when a lot of people were doing that. Mm-hmm. Now we see footage of her walking in to a meeting um, cordially uh, with this uh, Iranian foreign minister. And of course, it's that's incensing a lot of folks uh, who kind of thought, weren't you on our team you know you're yeah. you're now um showing the respect and giving the giving an audience to this murderer right mm-hmm. i mean definitely a lot of outrage um amongst iranians for sure and i think rightly so it's it's so hypocritical to on one hand you know back in october in the early days stand um on a public forum and and show that solidarity and take such a I think it was a big action to take. It was a it was a really symbolic move to you know stand there in front of thousands of Iranians and cut your hair and it was so emotional and everyone felt so happy to have you know someone from Belgium, for example, support them in that way. And then now she walks in and and she's having this you know friendly conversation and the photos. I mean, mm-hmm. they just look like a bunch of happy pals standing around. Um, there's reports that she actually met with. Um, and I don't know—is it Amir Abdullahian or Abdullahian? I'm not sure which is. Yeah. Last so name what's is. The, the? Do you know? Do you know this Shah? Because his name is Hossein Amir Abdullahian. Yes. Right? His last name is Amir Abdullahian. Is Amir is part of the last yes, name? It's not his middle no, name. No, 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 no. He's not Hossein. No, no, no. He's no. not. He's not H A A. No. Right. No. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So she met with Amir Abdullahian, and um, some reports are saying it was to discuss um, a political prisoner by the name of Olivier Vandicastille, if I'm saying mm. that correctly. Um, we don't know if that's necessarily what they talked about. There's um, reports from Islamic Republic state media that have said that this was an opportunity for her to pay her respect and give right. condolences yeah. Yeah. because of the earthquake in Hoi, but really what it was all about and why she met with them it's unknown. I mean, there's two things that come to mind. First of all, um, we are we're now acquainted with the fact that um, many countries around the world and their diplomats and their leaders um, still want to play play ball with this mm-hmm. regime. That's right. Some more actively and openly so than others, 
but we know that you know there's still an appetite for negotiations of a nuclear mm-hmm. deal and kind of engaging and enabling this regime and so maybe that's what's going on here um a less a more innocent reading uh, i don't know if it's possible but i would say that you know the ground has really shifted for the iranian community we've talked about this a little bit right mm-hmm. where the global iranian community like we all are one way that we're pretty much unified perhaps some um, reformists on their last breath still hoping for engagement accepted but we're pretty much unified that don't you don't deal with this regime you don't give you don't platform this regime mm-hmm. you don't because they've proven over and over and over and over again that you know there that there's there's nothing to be gained from that That's right. so so our our policy i mean think about even from a media standpoint um it wasn't too long ago that somebody could make an argument i think a fair argument to say i would interview this person from the mm-hmm. islamic republic to hear you know hear what they have to say and right. to challenge them that ship has sailed Nobody wants to see representatives of the Islamic Republic uh, platformed on major mm-hmm. media because we already know it's it's all hogwash, it's bullshit, and it's time for the end. Um, I, I feel like there's you know there's been a long time debate in international um, diplomatic circles about about whether engagement is the right thing to do or non engagement. Right? This is this is you hear this for years in the United States. Should the president meet with? this tin pot, tin pot dictator mm-hmm. or not? Is it, is it better when we engage with them and know the enemy and all of that? And and so there's there's potentially some kind of argument that they're convincing themselves of that it's important for us to still meet with this foreign minister and maintain relations so that we can do prisoner exchanges and know what they're up to and, and all of that. But for 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 the community around the world who knows better, mm-hmm. like I say, that ship has sailed. So if the if this is some kind of innocent attempt to, uh, you know, I, I don't know, make a play for, you know, how to find out more about this regime or mm-hmm. something like that, it's not working. I mean, even that, I don't know if any of any foreign representatives could actually say that because there's been so many different um, examples against that um even someone like this belgian uh foreign minister you know to talk about even a prisoner exchange i understand the value for someone like the belgian foreign minister but in the midst of a revolution yeah really yeah you know if the timing was different maybe if this was you can't imagine look our prime minister justin trudeau if you don't, if you recall, he met with Zarif mm-hmm. uh, three or four years, it was longer ago, five or six years ago. And it was a very controversial meeting because not only was he meeting with Zarif, but he was smiling and he, he kind of did a That's bow. Right. And, you know, that incensed a lot of people in the Iranian community. What are you doing, Justin yeah. Trudeau? Like, what you, um, But that is not something that Justin Trudeau would do today. I mean, you right. know, he would know this is, not, you know, that that option is not open to, exactly. uh, to, to the optics of that option or not something that we want to see. Yeah. Um, uh, I, uh, when I see these uh, international government, like states, that how they deal with Iran, it really like makes me, in, in one hand, you see China and Russia, they completely like, um, Khabidan uh, will lay over Iran and mm. they don't let <laughs> Iran to breathe and also like uh, com- coming back to the point that you said Picasso think that the, like the currency yeah. will you know it's kind of 
make sense if China would invest in Iran and suddenly people, the, the economic uh, get better in Iran. So, I mean, you never know. The, yeah. I didn't understand that point. That, uh, that imagine, imagine like uh, from next year, China mm-hmm. starts the 25 years um, like contract. Yes, yes, Iran, the deal, yeah. And in one year, like the the economy gets better. Oh, and like better. they yes. boost the economy. Yes. Okay. S- and so the people say, oh, uh, thank China. And, you know, I, I, I can kind of imagine that. Happening. Yeah, it's yeah. not it's not inconceivable. No. But uh, also, I mean, you know, I was trying to give my uh, different versions of what's what's happening here. But really, the simplest read of this Belgian foreign minister is everyone. We've seen so many different derivations of this including you know president biden and mm-hmm. and uh various diplomats and celebrities and whatever you know um and governments macron you know who will say one thing yeah. we believe in human rights yes. you shouldn't be killing kids and you know women and this and but when the chips are down mm-hmm. when it's time to actually you know and Preferably not when the cameras are on. Yeah. I mean, she's going to be regretting the fact that oh, that can't absolutely. that that footage is everywhere now. But they, you know, they still want to work with this regime. Mm-hmm. They, and we've talked about this every week. It's it gets sad. It gets it gets dispiriting because all of the evidence is, you know, hedging their bets, kind of going, well, we think the regime can stay. And by the way, it's better for us if the regime mm-hmm. stays. We make make more money off this. Some people are going to be killed, and the yeah. going to be a suppressed country of people. But what do we care? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's the that's how can we conclude anything else from Hadia Labib, yeah. who is the Belgian foreign minister, Labib Nazemi. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> No, I know. I'm, <laughs> I'm commenting on my last name skills. Um, the other thing that's, I mean, that I saw the last couple of days that was incredibly dispiriting, uh, perhaps not surprising, but but um, ominous is the poisoning yeah. of schoolgirls, school girls. young schoolgirls. I mean, 13, 14 years old. So if somebody isn't following this on social media, what, what would they need to know? So there were random or what seemed to be random incidents of young girls being poisoned at schools. Um, in Iran. In Iran, yeah. This started as early as November. Um, and then the most recent incident, I think, was just a couple of weeks ago, um, early February, if I'm not mistaken. Um, a lot of this was taking place in schools in Qom, although it was happening across other cities as well. Um, and the girls were just presenting with similar symptoms. They were all saying that they had smelt kind of a fruity smell in the school and then had gotten sick. Uh, many of them had been hospitalized. Um, and it was just this you know unknown situation for for many many months um and then earlier today the minister of education um actually admitted to some foul play now he didn't say what that meant really he just said that there were individuals involved um who maybe had a hand in this maybe it was deliberate and the reasoning for it is because they didn't want the schools to remain open so a lot of individuals are saying you know this is another barbaric act on the on the part of the islamic republic to squash this woman-led revolution that's taking place by stopping young girls from attending schools it's so fucked up that the regime didn't even deny it yeah 
Yeah. I, I, I mean, go ahead, Kanzi. I mean, you were a schoolgirl, uh, you know, in Iran mm-hmm. a decade ago. So, what, what, what do you feel or think when you hear about this? It's just so sad that they basically are kind of saying that it might have been deliberate. They're not denying it. Also, there are things that they're saying about girls, sort of them being against girls actually attending school mm-hmm. as well. Um, so girls shouldn't go to school. What we see like is happening in Afghanistan as well. Um, but I do think it sort of plays into both those narratives of, firstly, girls shouldn't go to school, and secondly, girls have been such a big voice. School girls especially have been such a big voice in this revolution that that's also a way f- to take them out of the equation, mm-hmm. kind of. Would that be why one of the epicenters of this would be Qom, which is a highly, very mm-hmm. religious city, so it's 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 almost the Taliban-esque yeah. uh, notion of what girls should and shouldn't be allowed to do? Yeah, for sure. I think that has a big thing to do with it, is that probably people with those kind of ideologies are more concentrated in those kinds of cities that are more religious than the rest of the the thing country. that um, the thing that comes to mind, or it, as soon as I read this this image that kind of popped in my head was, I think it was a couple of months back where we saw the young girls holding hands in a school um, yard singing Baroye, and just the thought of that image and to think that the girls that young were being targeted and mm. being poisoned. I mean, it's just. It's, it's so macabre, though. Yeah. It's so macabre. Like, let's first of all, let's poison our own, uh, ostensibly our own. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't, you know, let's poison the Iranian people, and then to do it to young girls and to the students, you know, it it just, it's it, again horror movie kind of stuff. Yeah. That you almost, if somebody gave me that script, I would go, well, this is not really realistic. There's not, you know, uh, it's it's quite terrifying. It crosses so many lines on so many different levels, mm-hmm. and like you said, I mean, even even in fiction, you wouldn't think. Well, in fiction, you would definitely at least have the dictator deny it, you know. At Instead least. of going, well, yeah, we, you know. there may have been some foul play. I mean, this is what we, this is a message we're sending, you know. Um, the funny thing is that, like, uh, just a couple hours ago, I've heard that now they announced that, no, it's not only school uh, girl, school girl. It's like for right. boys. Oh. Right, right, right. We're equal <laughs> opportunity murderers. Yeah. 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 Because that makes it so much better. Uh, finally, I, I, I yeah. wanted to mention um, uh, little Piruz. Oh. I mean, who will speak for mm-hmm. Piruz? Uh, uh, hopefully a lot of people. You know, I was going to do my opening essay about Piruz. The last of the Asiatic cheetahs are, yeah. you know, beloved uh, uh, cheetah who is um, in some health trouble mm-hmm. now. He, he was only born, he was born less than a year ago, right? Yeah, uh, May 1st, and, and he's the last of these these cheetahs and, and there's so much speculation about whether, you know, this 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 animal that like like many other animals in Iran um, is suffering because of the Islamic Republic. That's certainly the, the social media version of this. But I was gonna just do a, an ode to P. Ruz mm-hmm. as my opening essay, but I, I didn't do it today because Right now, today, I mean, by the time you're hearing this, you guys out there, um, this might be, you know, we, we might have learned a lot more. But right now, he's in surgery, or he's been in surgery this afternoon. Um, uh, dialysis. Dialysis. Dialysis, yeah. Uh, oh, maybe it's not surgery. It's yeah. If it's dialysis, it's yeah. Uh, so, so, and we don't know how Peter is going to react to this and whether, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to regain his health uh, or or something um, sadder than that. But so I I felt like it would be 
mm-hmm. and in on an inopportune time to do the essay about <laughs> Pirus. But do you want to explain what, uh, to tell us anything more about him for people yeah. who are not yet familiar with the <laughs> with our little hero? I mean, you know, you mentioned that um, that he's one of the last of of his kind, essentially. I think he's the, he is, he the, is last. the last. Yeah. 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 So the, the, this type of cheetah is critically endangered, um, and he's really the last hope. And in so many ways, he's become a symbol because not only is he the last hope for his species, he's also become a symbol of hope for Iranians mm. in the midst of you know this this ongoing revolution. So I think that's why so many people um, who may have not regularly been such animal lovers and advocates mm. and things like that are, are kind of... Um, you know, hoping for the best for Piruz as well, because it, he is really a sign of hope. Um, but I did want to mention one other thing. There's there's something circulating on social media, and I just saw this earlier today, about an Iranian-Canadian entrepreneur and philanthropist um, by the name of Alex Hadi-Taghi, I believe, who's actually offered to assist financially, um, if need be, to arrange for Piruz to be taken to, you know, a, a zoo or, or some sort of a care center or something like that to ensure his safety um and i think you know that's again it's another sign of how the diaspora has come together in the midst of this revolution Mm -hmm. where every single thing whether it be humans animals and ideology whatever it may be everyone's kind of pulling together good point you know like eight months ago we would have probably heard about Piru's, some Mm -hmm. environmental activist or animal lover or something what about this the situation this but the the global Iranian community wouldn't be galvanized That's right. to try and do something or or talk about him. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. That was a big part of it, right? Yes. yes. We we learned about Piruz from uh, uh, Sherbin's song. Yes. Yeah. Also, Piruz, you know, Piruz is like my little oogie. You know, Aww. the 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 picture we see of Piruz. You know, it's from when he was a real little yeah. baby. And he's not that young anymore. No. And now you see him, you're like, oh. It's like, there's <laughs> <laughs> a real cheetah. You no know, he's like little a little Pyrrhus. Yeah, yeah. Pier, I mean, Godspeed Pyrrhus, you know. Yeah. But, um, yeah. uh, I mean, we should do a whole episode mm-hmm. um, focused on what, what the plight of animals yes. have been in the yeah. in the last uh, it makes me very very sad when it comes to dogs but mm-hmm. I, I obviously it's not just dogs that yeah. suffer uh, in in the current situation in in yes. Iran yeah yeah and generally the environment crisis because I mean it's right yeah. it's connected yeah. interconnected yeah. Um, we are coming to you on rookmedia.com it is there that you can link to all of our platforms we are on this ongoing mission to build a new audio visual encyclopedia of iranian diaspora identity you can find us on spotify on soundcloud on apple podcasts on instagram on Castbox. if you like to see some visuals with rook you can switch over to youtube and also see our documentary series there uh, at Rook Media on YouTube. And if you like your descriptions of bulletins in English and in Persian, check us out on Telegram and you can support what you hear on this program, especially if you're a regular um, listener of ours. We know there's uh, followers around the world. Um, we really appreciate you becoming a, a Rook member by going to our Patreon page. And there's a bronze and silver and gold membership. And um, it's very, very simple. Uh, you just become basically a subscriber to us uh, uh, and you pay a small um, monthly fee and you help us do what we do. We crowdsource. That's the way we stay alive. So thank you to all of our Rook members. And today, a special shout out to Nazanin Am. Am. How do I say this? I don't know. I think that might be a middle initial mm. or name or Nazanin something. Nazanin Zamani. 
نمازی نازنین افشاری is her uh, last name who has just become a rook member at the bronze level on Patreon thank you so much Nazanin and again if you go to rookmedia.com and go to the support us button rookmedia.com uh, that is where you can um, link to our Patreon page and become a rook member and we'll get you some special uh, benefits to becoming a bronze, silver, or gold Rook member. Thank you for those of you who have done so at our Patreon. Thank you, KNZ. Thank you, Shia. Thank you, Pega. Let's get to our first guest. I think he's waiting in Istanbul. And here we go. My first guest is an Iranian kickboxing champion, entrepreneur, and blogger, Ahmad Moin Shirazi, better known as Picasso Moin has won a number of titles in the world of kickboxing, but he has more significantly come to public attention because of his active and popular presence on social media. Picasso and his wife, Shabnam, were an influencer couple in Iran with more than 1 million followers on Instagram, letting people in on their daily lives. Before they incurred the wrath of the regime, they were charged, convicted, and sentenced to a a total of 16 years in prison by the Revolutionary Court in Iran for posting, quote-unquote, propaganda against the regime and for spreading alleged moral corruption through their Instagram accounts. They were forced to escape Iran for good, of course. In self-exile in Turkey, Picasso has continued to raise awareness about the current revolution in Iran and attended rallies and demonstrations. And you would remember, you would have seen him in our Istanbul documentary this fall called The Revolution from the Backyard of Iran and Right Now. Picasso Moin joins me from Istanbul. Hello, sir. Hello, John, and hello, everybody who is listening or probably watching. Thank you for the very nice intro. Well, I would love to keep hearing myself, somebody talking about me like that. So, yeah, 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 that's that's very much me. And actually, <laughs> you make it sound terrific. And it's the short beautiful. version. I mean, there's a there's a much more involved, longer version. I just Thank went very much. I just went right through all your championships and all of that. That was and, terrific. Um, Thank you. It's nice to see you. Nice to have you back on the program. Um, and it's nice to be here. Where we last left off. I mean, I saw you in person in Istanbul in late October, basically in the middle of, um, you know, at that point, if the if this revolution has its peaks and valleys, that was certainly a peak at that point in terms of um, demonstrations, global activity, a lot of activity inside Iran, kids being killed. All of that was happening uh, at its peak at that moment. Um, maybe just to start off in in general terms, because I know you talk about this almost every day on your your social media videos, and you're in touch with a lot of people inside Iran. How are how are you processing where we are at this with with this revolution uh, today, right now? Well, I I got these feelings actually, which I, I know for fact I can feel it that the next wave or next waves are on the way, and uh, you can feel that the people, the tension, the, I mean among the people inside the country and how things are going on. The next the next waves of what? Of revolution, protests on the streets, precisely on the streets of every major city in Iran, or even, I'm not even only major cities, just like, the, I mean, just like it, as it was before, mm-hmm. I'm sure that the people will soon be back on the streets because look, what's, what's going on? I mean, what's happening? I mean, things gone worse, way, way worse than they used to be. 
dollar is like going up, real is on a free fall, and it, nothing is promising. And uh, you're you're not somebody, based on what you're saying right now. I'm. I, it sounds like you're not somebody who believes that the lessened activity in the streets. Um, uh, be it because it's winter, be it because people have been terrified because of the executions, be it for people are exhausted, whatever it is, you you are not somebody who believes that means that the revolution has lost momentum. Oh no! Well, you see, actually, it is not like every every other year there is a revolution happening somewhere around the world. So that you know, like, it's not a fashion. So we say that all the revolutions are like that, or the other one was like this, and the other one was like that. So. You really can't have a very precise analysis of the things, but I'm sure that all the revolutions they have had their ups and downs, and you know, like it's always you know on a on a different patterns. And I know for a fact that streets will be full again very soon. And uh, how do you know that for a fact? You see, it is very clear that how sad it might sound the next massa is somewhere around here in a corner waiting mm -hmm. or you see like look at right now what's happening with the schools i mean girls schools uh, and uh, things happening right now with the dollars things happening right now with kidnapping and torturings in zahedan in kurdistan things are not well yes and people are very unhappy but the poisoning, I mean, we, we, Picasso, John, we just talked about this on our roundtable. I mean, the poisoning is, first of all, it's macabre and disgusting, but it's, it's amazing that the regime is not even denying it. They tried. No, no, they hell, hell they tried. I mean, this is the 21st or 22nd school in a row. At the beginning, they kept denying it. They kept denying it. They kept saying, no, it is nothing. And it, once they said it was gas leaking, the other the other times were like carbon dioxide. The other time they said, I don't know, it was like uh, the, 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 the teachers, uh, uh, they tried to, I don't know, like disinfect the, the area or get rid of the bugs or whatever. And now after 22 schools been affected, and not only in the city of Rome, now, okay, they... Have they had to something? I mean, they had to say something. Okay, imagine how imagine how threatened you have to be as a regime to feel the the compulsion to poison schoolgirls. I mean, this is not this is not dropping bombs on a munitions factory somewhere. You know, a tactical response to th a threat. This is this is literally going after the Iranian people and some of the most vulnerable. Think about how threatened, how on the run this this regime must be. You see, I need to come up with a little explanation here. And when we are talking about the regime. It might be a bit slightly different than when we talk about regime, a regime in some developed country or some any other countries. I mean, when we talk about regime, we're not talking about a single body as a whole. We are talking about hundreds of uh, units, organizations, people, families, I don't know, like uh, companies groups, parties, which everyone has its own agenda. They are all on the same road, almost going the same direction, almost. 
And when you are from far away, you mm -hmm. see a regime. But don't the orders come from the top? Well, actually, the supreme leader is being surrounded by so many people. And indirectly, they are able to put him in positions to get out of his mouth what they want. There must be a group of wackos who believes that probably, let's say, the girls should not be yes. in school. Why? Because this is anti-Islamic yes. yeah. or whatever. And maybe they have got a guru, some Akhun sitting somewhere talking about stuff like that. And these guys pick the idea up by themselves and they say, oh, you know what? We need to be revolutionary. We need to take actions. And they will act on their own. And this is actually so fucked up that uh, even Khamenei used to like somehow has uh, encouraged it. The word Quod Jush or or something like that, you know, like uh, if if the people act within themselves uh, just based on their feelings and the responsibility or whatever. So they just believe maybe they think that this is the right thing to do for God, for Islam, for whatever reason. And I'm sure if they find out, if they catch them, we will never know about it until they're gone. So to sum up, it's not just a suppressed, um, repressed, and draconian um, totalitarian society. It's also a chaotic one where a number of tiers of this sepah are taking yeah. things under their own hands. Oh yes. But the, but the problem the problem with that analysis the problem I the, the the part that is confusing for me is we also hear people saying, you know, this regime. These, these fuckers, they've been at this for 44 years. They're very smart. They're very wise. They're very sly. They know what to do. They know how to keep the people down. That, when people say that, that implies that there's some kind of Orwellian big brother where they really do know exactly what's going on. It doesn't, it, you don't. You, Are they? I don't know. Do I'm they? asking, I'm talking, I'm asking you. I don't think so. It is. It is always like every every other third world country. I mean, every other third world country. It is always based on people, on persons, on personalities. If they got somebody smart enough in TV, like they had in uh, hashtag hashed, the TV in Iran uh, somehow played a major role in the green movement, and you know, like uh, like putting it down. Because they just tried, I mean, they, 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 they tried tricks on other people, like they brought Imam Hussein and Ashura and this and that, and they lied and they showed Iranian uh, flag being burned, banks, this, that. And then that guy left the office and the next guy comes and he's been doing the whole same story. Mm. Just, I mean, every time that anything like that happens again, but this doesn't work every time. So sometimes they have smart people in the right place for themselves, of course, I'm talking. And they do right things. And sometimes, which actually most of times, they have wrong people mm. in the wrong positions and they fuck up things just like they always have done. Imagine what happened with Mahsa. If they had a little bit of brain, they could have come up with an idea and come and apologize. And I don't know, like uh, fire two officers or put one in jail and calm people down. What did they do? They come up right. with denial right. till today. And that caused 
the revolution. Let me. Let, I, I want to ask you about the. I brought up earlier in the show that you you've got a a thought about or or something to say about the 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 dire state of the currency in Iran. Yeah, the, the dollar. But l- before we get there, just on this notion okay. of the the narrative and the lies and the and and what this regime does and says. Um, today was kind of a big day, um, depending on how you want to see it, um, a dark day in, the, in that the United Nations Human Rights, Rights Council uh, gave a platform to the Iranian foreign minister uh, to speak. I don't know if you saw him speak or heard anything about it, but he said some incredibly outlandish things that, um, I mean, I, I joke, I, I, I have a chuckle in my throat because it's so ridiculous, it's comical, but I started the show talking about um, the insanity of this man getting up there and saying not one person has been killed and human rights are the core value of the Islamic Republic. Um, what, what do you make of, of this person going and, and, and saying these things? I'm guessing you're not surprised, um, but how, how do you see the, the actions of today? Do you remember uh, when the Americans and British attacked Saddam the last time? Yes, I think I do. They had a guy, a general, who was the Ministry of Propaganda, something like that. And every day, he used to come on TV and CNN, sit down. Not, I mean, I used to watch them on CNN. Mm-hmm. They were like tons of uh, other news. And he always used to say things which none of them was actually even remotely close to what was happening in the real world. Are we talking about from the Iraqi government or from the American government? Yeah, yeah, from the Iraqi Uh government. I have heard that as he was giving up his last statement, I've heard that the American soldiers entered the room and they asked him to, sir, would you stand up and put your hands behind your head? Mm. And he still was lying and he was still saying things like that. And what else? It's an interesting I mean, analogy. You're saying a commander, uh, as the ship is going down, is is trying to sell propaganda that, that all is well. I mean, there's no, yes, we're going through difficult times. We're, we're going to figure them out. I mean, there, it's just. That was before when they still had hope. Mm-hmm. That was the time of uh, the other guy. Zarif. Zarif, yeah. yeah. Well, Zarif, actually, Zarif, in the time of Zarif, they still, I mean, the government, I mean, they, they were not so shaky like that. And he still was trying. And they were actually, they were so close to make it. This guy, he's a, it's a fucking joke. He's just comes in. He says nonsense and he leaves. And what makes me wonder is that there were still people sitting there watching and clapping and of course everybody knows the truth the thing is that they are there because probably they've been promised something well that that's the other story of today thank you for going there because the other story was and i was going to ask you about what you think of the the international reaction i mean you're sitting in turkey where where you know you forever get mixed messages from from the the leadership in Turkey uh, for all kinds of reasons as we know but i mean to, part of the story today was the the belgian foreign minister the same the same woman who had been seen cutting her hair in solidarity with iranian uh, women meeting with uh, the 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 iranian foreign minister um and that, which was an incredible affront to all of those tireless activists who've been saying 
do not engage with this regime anymore, um, let alone to do it on video in front of the world. Uh, uh, what we've been talking about in our roundtable just pre- before we brought you on here is how, um, you know, I was saying this 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 is just the, the indication that the West ultimately still seems to be hedging its bets. It says one thing, you know, these people come out and the human rights, we care about Iran, but when the chips come down, they're interested in, in engagement with and in continuing to enable this Islamic Republic for now or wait for the revolution, this one, to fail somehow. Gian, when things have been different, when? Mm. I, I believe never. You see, they're actually there. They're, they're there to play their role and try to work for the benefit of their country. And then, of course, then after that, they might think about other stuff. I mean, many times when they come up and show some support for people in Iran, it is to just, I don't know, to just get a get a better pose for the camera and, of course, to satisfy their publics. Amongst the people in Iran are the religious people in Iran. And something when I've seen a couple of your late night talks, one of the things that you've been doing is addressing clergy and religious people. I mean, you come from that, you know, in terms of your own family. Um, You've been addressing those people in Iran who do watch you on social media and imploring them to speak out against the regime. Um, Tell me about that. You see, well, anything happening in Iran right now is in the name of religion. Which, honestly, actually asking me, it has nothing to do with religion. The thing is that they're using everything. They're using uh, religion. They're using whatever they can in order to achieve their goals. And there are actually people who truly believe in that religion. And I demand, everybody demands that if you see this, if you see the misuse of religion, then come up and say something, you know? Otherwise, I, mean, I clearly said to every mullah, every akhun in my video that you need to take off your clothes right now, at least for, I mean, out of respect for people. Because you can see, you know that what's been going on and what what people are doing with this this uniform or whatever it is, which well actually I don't I never get it, but now you need to somehow take it out. I mean, take it out and say that just out of respect for people, for the time being, we're not going to dress up as a mullah because look what they're doing in name of religion. What look? I mean, the first person in the country has been a mullah. The second one has been a mullah. The third one has been a mullah. Every major organization in the country is run by a mullah. And then there are mullahs who are not political. These mm-hmm. grand ayatollahs who actually rule the country, and you know, like socially, mm-hmm. and whatever they mm-hmm. do is being followed by people. And the country is an economic, political, cultural, moral disaster in yeah. every way. Morally, economically, but uh, do 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 you actually believe any any of these mullahs are gonna are gonna heed your advice? Should I tell you that I received a couple of uh, messages which I actually decided not to post them, and uh, some some wrote me and they said that you don't know us, 
I mean, you don't know me, and of course, I thought about what you said, and I'm, I've taken off my my uh, what do you call amame, and uh, I'm going to be a regular person, which we actually are. This is what I mean. Two or three people told me that, and I, I felt very compelled. It's like wow, wow, wow. I was very impressed. Yeah, you feel like you're yeah, having some impact. Would do, yeah. I mean, not everybody did, of course, but um, at least two or three wrote me, I know, for a fact. I'm not sure if they did it, but the thing is that you need to say it. I mean, people need to come out. I really, at the beginning, I was against this Amama Paruni. Huh? But then I thought about it, and I said, like, it is actually an act, it is like a performance. Sorry, is that when they knock off they knock off the turban? Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, 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 yeah. You need to show them. You need to show them that you're really angry with this. Do you do you believe? I want to ask you about the Istanbul protest as well. Uh, there's a, a a growing list of things I want to get to. Just before we we, we go there, though, let let me just um, ask you this: since you're addressing mullahs and religious people in Iran. And since you you do have an audience that you hear from in Iran, I, I like to ask this of people who are inside Iran when we do our Voices from Inside Iran series. But but I, I should ask you as well, because I feel like you've got a, you've got a sense of things. You know, there was that survey that came out, um, I guess about a month ago, Gamon, the, the, this this Belgian uh, um, service, I think it was a that did a survey of uh, in as much as you can trust, you know, polling uh, of uh, Iranians inside Iran. But but it showed that there was over eighty percent support for um, ending this regime, and that the regime support was around fifteen percent. It was interesting that last week when we had one of these voices from inside Iran, uh, a, a financial analyst who was enraged. And I said, do you think that that's, uh, do you think that's possible that the, that the regime support is as low as 15%? And he said, no, that's not possible. It's much lower. Tell me your sense of who actually at this stage still supports this regime inside Iran. So those people who are supporting some of them or the, the majority of them are those who have their interests. They have been paid by the government. Their their family they work there. They've been uh, they've been living in Hanoi Sazmani, who was like offered to them by the government and this and that. By the way, this guy this guy I was talking about said even some of those people don't support the regime. Put them aside, because we're talking about people supporting them right yes. now. So there are other people who are really not certain about things, because they've been talking about. Uh, separatists and you know about uh, Iranian patriotism sure. and people are being like you know like, so every you the moment you talk about separation of any states from Iran people go like wow no 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 no, no. we would rather keep the Akhuns rather than mm -hmm. than losing Iran mm -hmm. as it is right now and they are always trying to make I mean heat up people against each other you know like uh sultanate against uh, sure and there are people who are then somehow sitting and saying that you know what we still have a roof which is cracking but it's still there is a roof above our head what if we get rid of it and we can't replace it so they feel hesitant you know otherwise there are those people who are uh, directly been been profited. I mean, by by the by by this 
government and regime, which are not actually many. So uh, otherwise, if you go and talk to a minister in Iran before this revolution, if you would have the chance to go and talk to a top dog, somebody important in the government, even they were not happy with the situation and things happening mm -hmm, in Iran. Mm -hmm. Nobody is happy with how Iran is being ruled. Nobody. Hmm. Nobody. I mean, what is to like? What so is how, there to like? I mean, people already kind of know who you are, but how, so maybe they, maybe those who oppose you would, wouldn't, wouldn't work their way into uh, your late night talks or your your you know um, Instagram lives and things like that. But and I'm going to ask you about some of the some of your haters, but uh, in a moment. But but how often do you encounter somebody who is actively defending the regime openly using their real name? Oh, the only time that people come with their real names are some people in my direct messages nobody, nobody dares to come nobody dares to come and talk i mean there are people who come and defend the regime but they're all with fake yeah. uh, identities yeah. and ids and uh, um, that's why i'm not sure if they're actual people or they're just the cyber army yeah. whatever yeah. it is yeah. i mean there could be one person with five different accounts yeah. But never, I have not seen a single person who dares to come because there is actually nothing to defend. Even these guys who come and defend the Islamic Republic, they just, they just, I don't know, they're bullshitting. I mean, they're not saying anything, I mean, which makes sense. They're a paid army. Yeah. So, so okay, so let me get to a couple of these things. Um, and and that, first of all, this this question of the currency, because I'm really curious to learn from you on this or what your your thought is that, that, that the... Iranian government, the regime is, I mean, because we've heard so much about the economy being in free fall, the devaluation of, uh, of, the, of the currency, the, the, the skyrocketing inflation. You believe that the, some of this is intentional from the, the regime? Yeah. Okay, what is intentional? I would say inevitable because um, they intentionally do that because they have no other way out. Why Why do they so, intentionally do it? Okay, okay, why? Since the government starts started, I mean, the regime, Islamic Republic, mm -hmm. none of these guys who've been ruling the country were prepared, educated, or in the position to run a country. So the difference between Pahlavi and Jumhuri Islami is lack of knowledge. You see, they didn't know what to do. One of the one of the differences, but yes, yeah. One of them. Yeah, one of sure. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of them. They had so much money, they didn't know what to do with it. Although there were more things to do with it, you know what I mean. Sure. So they had lots of money, but they had even more expenses to cover, which they didn't know about. So what they started to do, they started to do bullshitting, like rubbish. They supported that terrorist group or the other group, or they tried to uh, somehow export the revolution mm. and doing this mm. and that. And then they realized, okay, and then war happened. And they didn't know what to do, how to do it, 
and they practically fucked up everything. So the banks started losing liquidity and uh, were short of money. Mm -hmm. If the people would go to the bank, everybody together and demand their money, they didn't have the people money to, you know, like to pay them. Mm -hmm. So what they did, they used to go to the central bank in Iran, because this is actually central bank's duty to, uh, you know, like to pay the debts of the other banks, the government mm -hmm. banks. So they had to pay it and they had no cash either. So what, the, what was the best thing to do? Take the money from the people and pay it back to them. You see, the distributor of dollar in the country is the government. Nobody, nobody is allowed to sell dollars in Iran. I'm talking about like, you know, like a large amounts. Sure. You see, what, what, how the dollar comes in the country? Well, first of all, we practically we sell oil. This is how we survive. Who is selling the oil? The government. So who is getting the money? The government. Who is bringing it back? The government. And who is distributing that dollar in the market? The government. Also, there are other people who do also, because if you're doing anything within Iran, you're not being paid by dollars. Right. So dollar must come uh, through export. So they export goods out of Iran, but when they get paid, they cannot bring the money just like that and spend it. No, 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 no. They have to do it through a channel which central banks has provided. Okay. So still, the government is controlling all the dollars coming inside the country. So they decide. But you're not. Much, you're not saying that I the. Mean, the government wants to do this. You're saying that this, they're doing this out of necessity, right? Yes. yes. And be, because because also you could make the argument that this economic disarray, um, this deep shit that the, the economy is in is, is not going to help you win the hearts of the people, <laughs> right? I mean, this is, this, is, this is part of what's enabling the revolution. Yeah. You see, these are actually unwritten protocols in Islamic Republic. You can't, whenever you cannot get the money, where do you get the money from? From their, from people. Right. I you got just you. go back to the people, I got you. get the money from them, and that is called inflation. They get the money from people, paid back, nothing has happened, people are gone. We're gonna, I'm going to press to be poor. continued on this part of the conversation because I, I want to talk more about this with you. And we, 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 you know, you're going to have to uh, come back because I've got a lot of questions about that and uh, the, about what you just said. But let me, before, I've, I've got to let you go soon. So I want to ask you two things. First of all, um, when I was in Turkey there for two, two weeks and doing the documentary and I saw you and we, we talked, it was obviously very clearly apparent. And I, I spoke to a number of people who... Um, who underscored this, that, that it's very difficult to protest in Turkey. It's very difficult to, to, to exercise any dissent. Uh, getting permission, even when you get permission, the police are coming after you. It's a, it's a hostile environment for any kind of dissent. Are they allowing these protests now? Well, the police have been very cooperative. They, the only thing they don't do, they don't give us a permission in writing, but they always give us a verbal permission. And they come there, they stand there to protect us, 
although three policemen documents the whole thing with camera, which that's a little bit, I don't know, whatever, just this is what they do. And uh, they've been very cooperative. Uh, for example, this Sunday, we decided not to do it. And we decided to shift it for 8th of March, which is the International Women's Day. Mm -hmm. They also accepted, agreed to that. And uh, we've been there. But beside that, there are many other people who come with their cameras and, and take everybody's picture. And that makes many people nervous. Mm -hmm. And that's why not so many people come. Many people write me and say, oh, we would love to come, but we want to go back to Iran. And I know that many uh, bloggers, influencers that have been asking them to put the uh, poster of this every Sunday's uh, movement there. Now, when they go, when they've gone to the consulate in, in in Istanbul, they denied to offer them any counseling services or counseling services. And they have said that oh, your name is on a list now. Right. What you need to do is to make a video and say that, okay, it was my, my bad, I did a mistake or whatever, and then come and I'll renew your passport. Wow. How are you dealing with that? I mean, you're remarkably fearless. Um, I, I know that there's been, um, the, like you've been attacked by trolls and like whether it's the cyber cyber army or hired guns or I don't know. I, and I know you're used to that. You've gotten that. But I mean, you're extremely popular. But then you have these haters that go Thank after you. you online. And, and one of the things they, 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 you know, they come at you and say, you know, um, you where were you guys in Aubonne? Uh, You know, now you're so out, so outspoken. You see, this is bullshit. Were, of course we were there in Aubonne. We were there in Aubonne. You see, if they go on my highlights, uh, they can see the stories we posted. And in Aubonne, the thing is, is that nobody had the internet in Iran. So any news we got out, we, we reflected it. And in Aubonne, we were there as well. Yeah. And uh, we've been actually quite active. I don't care about those haters or the people who are wrong about us. But I, I know you're notoriously never scared. I mean, you amaze me. You're sitting there in Istanbul and you're so outspoken. Uh, but uh, and, and, and you really are you both of you guys, you and Shabnam are are these pillars of strength, I think, for what you do in terms of how how open and outspoken you are when others you say won't even, you know, turn up at a demonstration because they're scared of their faces, which is their, you know, it's legitimate to these things. So so where I, my question is, where are you at when you get all of these the, these um, warnings or people uh, uh, chirping? at you well i need to add that we don't want to go back to iran those people those people who maybe are afraid to show up sometimes they do want to go but they have the chance to go back and see their families they have business in iran they have things we have lost everything in iran i've lost all the business i've built and they say to get Balotara Siahikarangis together. I mean, we are, we are gone there. We've been there. And uh, that's why I know that I'm not going back to Iran, whatever, whatever happens. I don't need to go to the Iranian embassy. So the only thing is the, the actual threat that somebody might come and do us harm, which whenever we see these people in Zahedan every Friday, yeah. Yeah. and they've been shot on the streets, right on, they still. Yeah. Been, yeah, you know, like, you know, that's how the things are there. Yeah. And they still do come. And this is the least we could do. Seriously. I, that, I, that is perfectly said.
And uh, but when you say you never want to go back to Iran, you're not including when Iran is free and you and I have a tea. No, no, no. I mean, uh, right now, right yeah. now, I mean, right <laughs> yeah, now, we okay. know for a fact that we do, we are not going back. So, yeah, that's 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 the thing. Because so it's it's. I always appreciate your perspective. I I always think. I mean, you're such Thank a you unique guy, uh, and you have you have such an, a, a unique voice. And I think you really do a service to, to a, a lot of the folks out there who depend on you for a, a bunch of information and and uh, to feel inspired. And you, you guys lead by example, and you put yourselves out there. And um, thank you very much. As ever, I thank you for coming on. I thank you for the great job you're doing, the awareness you're making. And I follow every video you post on YouTube. I like them all and watch them. And you're very inspiring yourself. Thank you very much for all the services. And looking forward to see you soon. Thanks, brother. Take care. Bye-bye. This is Rook, episode 242. The IRI foreign minister is a buffoon. I'm Gian Gomeshi. Remember, for all things Rook related, you can go to our website, rookmedia.com, where you can find our Patreon page as well, rookmedia.com. My next guest is an Iranian-American entrepreneur and creative. Gulshid Mola is the founder and director of Alangu, an online platform that creates a connection between designers and consumers with the intention of supporting independent artists and designers from Iran and from the Middle East in general. Golshid was born and raised in Tehran. In the early 2000s, she moved to New York, where she received her master's in graphic communications management and technology. Since the beginning of the current revolution in Iran, Alangu has given over its significant platform to only sharing artworks that are inspired by the current freedom movement for Iran. And right now, Golshid Mola joins me from Los Angeles. Hello. Hi, Jianjun. How are you? I'm well. I'm. I'm. I, I thank you for doing this. It's nice to see you again. Nice to talk to you again. I. I hear you're a bit under the weather, so I appreciate you doing this. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I got this. You know, that's common flu that's been happening to everybody. You're a trooper. Thanks for still doing the interview. Listen. I. I let me start by asking you. Um, the obvious question, since I haven't spoken to you, we haven't had you on the show since the the uprising began. Um, how was your life? Um, emotionally and and I suppose literally um, affected by the aftermath of the killing of Massa Amini in the last few months? Yeah, to be honest with you, my life personally, my life changed because um, I am pregnant. I was pregnant during this whole time and it was not good. I was extremely emotional, crying every day, a few times a day. Uh, it was a challenging time for me. So my, my doctors, you know, she told me that, you know, you have to stop at some point. This is not really good for the baby or for you as a pregnant woman at this age, because, you know, our child at, at my age, they call it a golden child. So we have to be extra careful. Um, but it was just not possible. I mean, how could you just be, you know, just not checking the social media, just not following the news. It wasn't possible. So it was a really tough time for me. It still is. Uh, but, you know, right now we have a little hope, maybe something is happening. So it's been better recently. 
when you um when you were crying in those first first months you obviously were were not alone um all of us were um as a woman who grew up in iran uh, with the dynamics of this particular uprising and the strength of it led by women led by youth led by young uh, girls and boys um tell tell me what if you can tap into those emotions what what was make what was most making you cry if you will you know it's just um seeing your people on the street and you know all these youth getting killed and blinded uh, and it obviously I was reminded of myself when I was growing up in Iran. And I remember that every day I was, you know, going to my parents, like, how come nobody's doing anything? Why aren't you guys out on the street? How come your friends are just sitting home living regular life? I was all, I remember that I was also talking to my friends about this when I was in college, like, don't we have to do something? Don't we have to just say something? It was all weird for me growing up in Iran that we were just so silent. So um, the fact that this finally happened, it was really, um, it also made me very happy that finally we're doing something, finally people are reacting to this whole thing. But it, you know, it was just a very emotional time, you know, because I was, I used to be one of them living in Iran. I experienced that lifestyle and that pressure. So um, it was just extra emotional maybe for me, I don't know. A lot has been said about the bravery of the new generation now in Iran that those of us of older generations perhaps didn't have as much as we wanted things to change. Um, can you reflect on that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Um, this bravery finally got out. Um, I was expecting something like this, honestly, like 20 years ago. Uh, with my generation, we are the generation. I was born in, uh, during that Dahe Faj, you know, with the arrival of Khomeini. Um, so it was um, really amazing to see how brave they are. At the same time, super scary. I mean, I was scared watching them out on the street because we know this government. We know what they can do to the to people, and they did. Uh, so th- at the same time um, that, you know, it was really amazing to see all this, you know, courageous young people out. It was also extremely scary for me to watch, just thinking how they can just catch them, how they can execute them, how, you know, which, you know, they did. They it could have been much worse, I think, um, you know, um, scary and exciting at the same time. Goshid, let me ask you about Alan Gu, because... Um, this has been a thriving, um, popular platform. Uh, I remember b- before the first time we had you on the show, uh, any, uh, you know, I was, I was familiarizing myself with Alan Gu and anybody I'd say the name of it to, they'd go, of course, you know, this is a, this is, this is a, a, a household name that people knew. Um, so it, it's all the more, um, impressive or, uh, or powerful that, you clearly made a decision at some point to pause pause the regular regular activity of Alangu and to, as I said in the introduction, give that platform over to the cause of the uprising. Tell me about what went into that decision and whether it was a, a difficult one for you. No, it was absolutely, it was like a no-brainer. I just knew that I had to stop 
you know, in a situation like this, you cannot just promote selling things. And I would be surprised if people actually would come to Alang and buy things. Uh, I would be like, what? You're buying a piece of jewelry at this point? Uh, so um, I did it with pleasure. Um, it was my duty to do that. It was everyone's duty to do that. But again, at the same time, we are also responsible for the artisans and designers that we present. But um, if people in Iran were going through this, everybody was affected. All these online businesses, all the designers, all the artisans mm. were affected living in Iran because of the Instagram ban and internet ban. So why not me? Um, you know, if they're going through it, I can go through it because we had to just stick together. We had to be one voice. Um, but, you know, after some time, after a few months, you know, you realize that you also have to do your job, which is giving voice to those same designers who, you know, Iranian designers who live, you know, all over the world. Um, so we decided to, you know, move on a little um, with the, you know, regular work that we did. Uh, but still, the main focus remains on what's happening in Iran. I mean, when you say it's obvious, it's not it, it is you're very generous or, or I, I, I appreciate the integrity behind saying that but it is a funny thing that I, I would put sort of online um, sales folks in the Iranian community uh, in the category of, of artists and a lot of other people who were who were expected to change their careers affect their lives during this this uh, this period um, and still are to a certain extent you know um, Whereas, for example, you know, no one's telling an engineer to stop being an engineer or a dentist to stop being a dentist or to give their do all of their work for free because of the for the uprising. So it does feel like it's a bit of a double standard as to who has to take the responsibility and who doesn't. Um, were, were there voices in your life saying, hey, no, this is your career. This is your job. Don't do this. No, first of all, anybody with online presence has to take action. A, a dentist in his office doesn't have that online you know presence to do things if he does he has to uh and at the same time you know certain like an engineer or a physician uh, these are things that people need on daily basis but people don't need to buy jewelry on daily basis first of all all the events were canceled nobody was doing anything obviously um so there was really also not there was no point to uh, expect people to come and shop from you. You know, it's different from when you offer a service, which I do also offer a service mm -hmm. as well to designers. It's complicated, you know. But um, I decided immediately that this has to stop. Uh, and I was also very surprised to see some other biz online businesses uh, that just didn't care yeah they just moved on not doing anything not saying anything after like maybe a month or two they decided to just you know say something small about it you know on the side and i was not really happy about that it was disturbing did you have any pushback from any of your regular clientele or were there with anybody saying i don't come for to, to alan goo for political statements or any any of that or was everybody basically on side Mostly they were on side, yes. There are actually some followers who, you know, who don't really like to see negative content. And uh, they would tell me, you know, Alangu is a happy place. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. I had to do what I had to do. But mainly everybody was um, supportive of and appreciative of, uh, you know, stopping all the promotions.
So I saw your posts more recently, like very recent, um, uh, that reflect, I think, a lot of what a lot of folks are going through. I mean, we've been talking about it here. We stopped all our advertising and any sponsors or anything like that for Rook um, in this period and then realized, oh, well, that was our business model. Now we're six months in and, you know, we're trying to crowdsource. But so how... Um, how how are you navigating the the idea of I saw you 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 uh, something a post you had written saying we want to be able to continue to support designers and artists and unique folks out there who our platform has been for um, where how far will you go in that direction still and how much is it is it important to still use the platform for um, the causes of the uprising? I think it's I think we shouldn't stop at all. Uh, the platform, the main focus of the platform should be focusing on the uprising. But at the same time, it's Nowruz now. And Nowruz is very important to me. No matter what happens to us globally, this is our culture. The culture is always number one. You know, uh, I'm not going to just uh, disregard the, uh, the coming of Nowruz um, because of the uprising, because I really believe that we have to keep the culture alive. Uh, so Nowruz is an exception. Yalda is an exception, but Yalda was, you know, right in the middle, uh, and you know, Nowruz is major. Meaning, so. mean, meaning, you're okay with big galas and stuff for Nowruz? No, no, no. I'm just talking about what we do for uh -huh. Alan. Like I'm, I am going to, uh, you know, introduce Nowruz related um, items. Uh, on Alangu, you know, recommend things for AD, recommend things for half scene. On Alangu, you can find many, many like half scene sets that are handmade by designers. Uh, so these are not things that we're not going to show. Obviously, I'm going to promote them because, again, the culture needs to stay strong. Um, so no matter what, we have to we have to respect Norus. That's what I think. What is your personal position on uh, big fancy parties for Norus? That. You know, respecting the festival, respecting Nowruz is different from partying. You know, we get, you get together, you celebrate, you sit around your half scene. Um, you know, you read your poem, um, you pray. But um, it's different from like bringing a DJ and just party all night. Uh, although even if people do that, you know, I rather not do it at my house. Right, right. Um, Although I just I, I did have a baby shower as well, but again, um, there was no dancing, uh, there was no partying, there was just you know getting together, celebrating my baby. I mean, I'm 44 and I'm pregnant, so I, again, it's not something that I just ignore. No, it's, uh, I think that's fantastic. Right. I think we, we we need to be allowed to gather, surely. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, before I let you go, let me ask you a little bit about what you've observed from the community. I mean, you're in Los Angeles now. You were, of course, um, famously, I believe, a very New York kind of person. We talked about this last time. Now you've relocated to Los Angeles. I think you've been out on some of those demonstrations in Los Angeles. And what, what can you speak to in terms of as somebody who's been at the center of the Iranian community in a certain way, as somebody who um, creates a service for for um, Iranians, what have you noticed about the community over the last six months? Yeah, first of all, I'm really appreciative of anybody, any Iranian or non-Iranian who goes out. Really, thank you guys so much for going out. That's very important. Um, I would be way more active if I were not pregnant. Uh, but, you know, I didn't go to the main major ones because of that, but I did go to many of them. Um, it's beautiful to see Iranians sticking together 
it's really sad when I see that they get into like nonsense arguments, stupid arguments over really not important things. Um, I hope that, you know, we can fix that within that culture to be more open to each other's different ideas and don't just don't lose focus, you know, um, screaming, screaming at each other for something that's not even important at this time uh, can damage the whole, you know, revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, uh, I'm very impressed with all Iranians across the globe. Are you, are you hopeful these days? I mean, there's that that you know, it's not as there's not as much activity as there was in in September and October, but there's a different kind of activity now, and there's a lot happening on the international stage. What is what is your feeling now? Definitely, definitely, it's not that this revolution is happening, um, and people are doing amazing. There are a lot of people in our community are are doing great things uh, for this uprising. Uh, although they're not out on the street, things are happening. Um, I am hopeful. I think that this revolution is over. Honestly, it's not going to last for a really long time. It's not possible. I really don't think it's possible. But again, at the same time, I a lot of time I lose hope. I don't know. Sorry, I when you know. say the revolution is over, meaning that the regime is going to be... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, the, mean, the, the, I see. I see. Sorry. I see. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> right. This regime. Right, right. I was like, is it? Yeah. I thought we were no, still... No. Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um well I it's a it's a it's great to talk to you again. I'm I'm um do I say congratulations, I guess. When is when is the the new, the little one due? Yeah, I think um I think she's coming sometime around Norouz. Yeah. I See? was gonna say it's yeah, it's a new day in a lot of ways for, for Golshid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, wishing you a, a safe and and healthy journey um, on this new path, and and thank you for the work you've been doing with Alangu as ever. And it's it's nice to see you again. Thank you, Jian Jun, and thank you for you know what you do. You know, focusing on this uprising, talking to people. Thank you for that. Merci. Take care of yourself. You too. It's Goshid Mullah in Los Angeles, and this is full time for Rook for today. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Remember, for all things Rook-related, go to our website, rookmedia.com, rookmedia.com, where you can also figure out how to support us there by pressing the Support Us button, funny enough. And you can become a Rook member. Just join a subscription at the uh, Patreon page. Go from the Support Us button. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together. Roham, KNZ, Talented Anahita, Super Parisa, Smart Pega, Raimertan, and Groovy Shaya. Thank you to all of you out there supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe if you've not done so already. Find me on Instagram at Giango Meshi. And as ever, always heed these words. Wait for it. Here it comes. Mizun Bashi.
So it was a little hot there. Uh,